Hey guys, Matt Gurney here for Jen Gerson. This is the latest episode of The Lines Experimental Podcast, and we have had ourselves quite the afternoon. It was our first podcast in a couple of weeks. We were excited to be back with you, and we sat down to do the podcast, and the file was corrupted. After 45 minutes of work, it was a total loss. So we decided to redo it, a speed version of it, a take two, as it were. We treated the one as a... Uh, dress rehearsal, so to speak. Here is all the same topic, most of the same brilliance, and of roughly about half the time, a condensed and somewhat rushed version of the latest episode of the Lines Experimental Podcast. Right, try again. Let's explain that well, in we five just recorded minutes a whole. We've got a whole podcast we recorded. It was... It was... I'm looking at the clock now. It was 43 minutes yeah, long. Yeah, it was 43 minutes long. So, of course, we talked way too much about bullshit. And the file just vanished. It's not yeah. recorded anywhere. No, it didn't record. Great. So Super. We, so, we're, we're now going to do a recap of the a over speed podcast. <laughs> a speed podcast. All a right. recap of everything that we just talked about really quickly, which will probably so be, be better like than our normal minute podcast. Condensed version of a 45 minute podcast. All right, let's start. Can you give me. We're, yeah, we're firstly, we're not talking about C18. We're all sick of it. We're tired Sorry. of talking about C18. Yeah. We've been talking about it for weeks. It's we have to talk about it because it's important, but we're talking we're tired of talking about it. We're talking about different stuff today. Yeah. Boom. Sorry, sorry, sorry to all of our uh commenters who uh have been bitching about this. You're right. I we're stopping. Okay, now, now, next. Okay, so that's item one down. Uh can you do the entire CBC retraction story in two minutes? Okay, CBC retraction. You will recall that there was a series of stories by the CBC in Calgary against Daniel Smith, in which they alleged that she had interfered in various capacities um, with uh, ongoing prosecutions against uh, COVID-related offenders, particularly Art Pulowski and Coots. Art Pulowski is a crazy pastor. Um, well, uh, there were two basic stories, one of, the, one of which got retracted by the CBC after months and months of doubling down and claiming that they stood by their story. That is the claim that uh, someone from the premier's office uh, directly sent some kind of email to Crown prosecutors forcing them to or requiring them to try and stand down on some of these COVID-related charges. Uh, after multiple investigations, including um, investigations by the Ethics Commissioner, no such email was found. What does stand is that uh, the, the same Ethics Commissioner found that Daniel Smith allegedly did break the law um, by trying to coerce not Crown prosecutors, but rather her Attorney General directly on some of these prosecutions. Anyway, long story short, the CBC finally retracted that first story. Um, not this week, last week when we were off. So yeah, yeah. so uh, that is an interesting thing. And uh, I'm taking a reluctant victory lap because I did warn them for some time that they had run that story on tooth insourcing and were likely to get burned. And I think as, as uh, condensing my own responses to what you had said, there are two takeaways here. First of all, you can report on documents you haven't seen. Canadians have seen that happening during the China electoral interference story, but you have to be careful. You have to have multiple high-level sources who have directly seen the documents confirming not just what they say, but what they mean. And you also need to disclose that you haven't seen them yourself. And you've seen this in both the Globe and Mail and in Global News over the last few months where it's been like, we have not seen the documents, but multiple sources at CSIS or the RCMP or whatever have confirmed it. So you can report that, but you've got to be really careful. Well, and with, and benefit, other... of with benefit of hindsight, we see that all of the documents that the Globe has reported on do exist, and some of which have since, since been submitted to, to Parliament yeah. as evidence. So they've been vindicated in hindsight. 
the CBC claimed that they claimed that emails existed that they had never seen. I don't think even the sources they relied upon had seen seen these emails. Of course, now we know they couldn't have. And when investigations yeah. took place in looking for these emails, not only by the IT department or the premier staff themselves, but also by the ethics commissioner, there's just no evidence that any such emails existed, which is why they had to retract. The other the other point I made, which was a very general one, when you when you fuck up, and this is especially true when it's a big one, speed is your friend in retracting it. You have to get in front of it. And I have, God knows, in my time, had a, either been directly involved in or at least had a front row uh, view of, of serious journalism mistakes, ser serious professional failures. Letting it go never works. You have got to own it immediately. And something I had said to you was something happens to journalism, to journalists, I should say, when it's their fuck up, they panic and they forget everything they know about journalism. And they turn into the most rookie, green, inexperienced comms people feeding out flimsy cover stories, lame, vague explanations, ignoring requests for comment. It's, I don't know what happens to us as a profession who ought to know better. If that was a government official or a corporate official, we'd see through it. But we think we're going to get away with it. It's a failure. It's a failure broadly shared across our industry. When you fuck up, admit it, apologize, own it, move on. It's the and only in way this, you're and in this case, it. this was well after it was pretty clear months. the sourcing was to them. This went on for months and months and months and doubled down and threatened lawsuits and even now it's been, I think, almost two months since the ethics commissioner report came out that basically said there's been no email found. Um, and that still it took this long to retract it. So yeah, not wise on the CBC. I do feel really bad. I would say that one thing people need to remember is that the names that are on stories are not necessarily the names that are responsible for stories. Yep. You know, the, na the names on a story, a byline, that indicates who wrote and did the bulk of the reporting. But ultimately, the decision to publish is not made by the reporter. The decision to, rep to publish something is made by senior editors. And I would like to have seen a little bit more responsibility taken at that level, because in this case, the reporters are taking a lot of shit and not all of it deserved. I, 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 I got to be vague in what I say here, but I am I had personal experience once and I, I luckily it wasn't my mistake. I was the guy who kind of noticed the mistake. And I looked at I looked at what had happened and what had happened is that a major Canadian news outlet had gotten something completely wrong, was factually wrong. But the worst case scenario occurred, which was that other outlets began to pick up on that wrong reporting and then it just began to spread. And then all of a sudden you've got the wrong information in multiple outlets and they're all confirming each other, right? Mm -hmm. But the raw information was wrong and I knew it was wrong. I had the raw data. And there was a reporter who was implicated in that. And I, I can't say much about this, but I know for a fact that it was not that person's fault. Yeah. That someone higher up the chain of command made a mistake. Yeah. And that reporter wore, took it, wore and, the damage. And, and they can't, rooms. what are they going to do? Throw the boss under the bus? Well, and in and in newsrooms, as in all major corporate settings, shit rolls downhill. It sure so. does. Anyway, um, no so that was a speed round. That was yeah. good. Yeah, no, we we're condensed. talking about journalism. We're done. Done. That's it. That's, that's how it long journalism. Our, that, that's how long it should have been originally. Bluntly, the two points I had to mention in the podcast that immediately vanished into the ether, never to be heard from again. It was our dress rehearsal podcast. There was two. <laughs> Uh, you and I got talking about Jane Kreba, 
2005. Uh, I think a lot of people will know what I'm talking about. But for anyone who, who doesn't, Jane Crevo was a 15-year-old girl in Toronto. Boxing Day 2005, she went shopping, get some Boxing Day deals. She was in downtown Toronto. There was an exchange of gunfire between gangs. And this 15-year-old girl was hit and she was killed. And the reason I brought that up, and it's kind of bubbled up organically a couple of times in conversation this week. First of all, you, as a Cub reporter at the Star, you were in the radio room, though, and that happened. So yeah, you remember? Was, I remember this, and actually it's horrifying that it was as long ago as it was, and once right. I was young. Uh, we were all no, young. I, I, I distinctly remember this. Yeah, I was, I was there. I was just finishing my shift in the radio room when the first shots were fired, I believe, if I recall correctly. I remember her name. I can picture her face in my mind, a 15-year-old girl. Cynics might note a beautiful blonde white girl. That's That was part of the commentary at the time. She goes shopping on Boxing Day in 2005 in Toronto, and she's killed. And the reason I brought this up is because last week in Toronto, um, a woman in her 40s, a wife, a mom, uh, an employee, like a valued, a valued member of society, she goes out to pick up some lunch, get some takeout, and while she's out, three guys, two of whom uh, were apparently armed illegally, of course, with handguns, have a gun battle in, in, in Leslieville in Toronto, and this woman is killed. And the police have since made one arrest. Uh, they've laid charges of second-degree murder. And wouldn't you know it, the shooter or the alleged shooter was out on bail, had previous violent crimes and firearms offenses. Uh, last week, there was a violent stabbing at Eglinton Station on the Toronto Transit Commission. That's my local subway station, the one closest to me. And that individual who has not yet been arrested but was identified by surveillance video also has a lengthy criminal record. I don't know who the Jane Kriba of 2023 is going to be or 2024. I don't know when it'll happen. Maybe it was the woman who was killed last week in Toronto. But I, I'm almost embarrassed to admit this. I don't remember her name. So it hasn't had that resonance moment yet. To me, it was, oh, latest killing in Toronto. The provincial and territorial leaders, a lot of police leaders as well, have been all over the feds. They've been saying, you've got to get serious on bail. You've got to start making progress on this. This is a, a word of sincere and genuine free advice to the Trudeau government. You're going to want to fix this before we have our next named iconic victim. Right now, I still don't think we have it. We've had a series of people who've been murdered terribly on the Transit Commission. We've had random shootings, random stabbings, but we don't yet have anyone who's become the symbol of this public safety problem that we're having right now. And when we're talking about a symbol, we're talking about a series of public safety problems that begin to affect a class and demographic of people for whom crime does not typically affect. That's what that. I mean, this is this is. We're not trying to be cynical about nor the about the um Jane Kriba stuff but I mean that was what really impacted people the idea that my kid could have been, could have been down it yeah. could have been anyone could have been down to young and Dundas yep. that's what's distinct from from these kinds of symbolic crimes than 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 more what we more typically see which is like people be, being murdered by people they know well that couldn't happen to me of course but um you're getting beaten up there uh, yeah I, we're gonna have to I, zoom through this next section I think as I was, we, we as got I we was, got someone who really wants to go camping. As I was saying um, it's before, it, it's you. Yes. Yeah, I know. That's correct. We we did know that. We we figured that one out. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been saying this, and I wrote this in a column for us just a week or two ago. Um, 
I could tell you, and as a, as a Toronto born and raised oh, guy, shit, the other one. It's, yeah, uh oh, you're right. Yeah. If there's going to be a shooting overnight, usually with pretty high accuracy, five years ago, I could have told you where it will be. I could have told you it'll be this neighborhood, it'll be the basically one of two or three neighborhoods. I probably could have told you where that shooting was going to happen. I can't anymore. When people I, like I, you start feeling actually scared to walk around your nice neighborhoods, that means that crime has crossed a certain psychological boundary, and it's going to become a, a main. Um, it's going to become a mainstream yeah. and middle class issue. I think um, if you want me to talk for a minute while you want to get your oh no, your, we're stuck with this. This is this is what's happening now. James, does don't he know put he's your, putting his butt in the frame? Yes, like is that he deliberate? He, okay. He's doing that on purpose. Okay, he's gonna checking. start farting next. Yeah, all right, that happens. Now Elizabeth is gonna. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would say was the other. So basically, that's that's my conclusion on that one. Liberals, this is advice to you for your own sake. You'd better come up with an answer on bail reform before we do have that next Jane Kriba, the person who will symbolize uh, this current problem we're having. The other point I was going to make, and I'll make it quick, because uh, I can see things are falling apart it's, around. It's here. it's almost like watching a physical time clock in action. It like is. We're, we're starting to to zoom toward red here. We are. We're we're red. into the yellow. Yeah. Um, I saw a story the other day, and it was observing the ten year anniversary of the Lac Megantic disaster, where a train full of fuel in the middle of a town in Quebec exploded, killed a lot of people, and destroyed the town. There was this announcement from the government of Canada that I, 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 will I, will, I will do a written blurb about this and I will quote from it, where the government of Canada has recently announced it is expropriating some land so that it can build a rail bypass so that the trains don't have to go through the town anymore. They can bypass it. Lac Megantic was destroyed 10 years ago. We just got around to expropriating the land. I like. I don't know if you want to file this under D for deliverology or B for Canada is broken, but this is like, we keep talking about how eventually we're going to have a public inquiry about COVID. We're going to have a commission. We're going to have like a task or whatever. I don't know exactly what it's going to be called. We're not going to learn a fucking thing because when a train blew up and burned down a town, everybody agreed that was bad. Everybody recognized what we ought to do about it. And it took us 10 years to expropriate the land. And that's not building the bypass. Now that we have the land, we need to start the process of building it. So let's see how long that takes. I don't know how complicated that is. I'm not familiar with the terrain and how, how big the bypass has to be. But any of you out there who think things are going to get better, it took us 10 years to expropriate the land to bypass Lac Megantic after it got blown up. Speaking of things getting better, uh, we did note that the Bank of Canada raised its interest rates again. By yeah, it all, weren't we all relieved? Yeah. Um, there was a couple interesting things that came out of the press conference around that, that decision. And one was the Deputy Bank of Canada, uh, De Deputy Bank Governor, whose name totally eludes me, giving a very, very candid, Gave, giving a very candid conversation about she was asked she was asked two direct questions. What do you think it's cause is causing the higher housing prices? And also, are you factoring in the impact of the higher interest rates on housing costs when you're deciding what your inflation rates are, are looking like? Um, 
And her response was really just very straightforward, honest, and candid in a way that you, I'm, I really feel is lacking from most politicians. And that was, she said, yeah, there's, there's supply issues. There's huge demand. There's inadequate supply. And the more immigration, that was always a prevailing issue. And now we're bringing in more people as well through immigration. And I was like, yes, that's, that's the the trade-off of higher immigration, which you and I both support. Like, and she did it in just a very, very straightforward and honest way. And, and there was an interesting little tweet, tweet as a response to this. I saw it on Twitter and it was from Rando42, out Rando Robbie, Robbie 42 And only two people even liked it. Not very many people saw it. But he said, reading between the lines, seems like they are saying the future is population growth through immigration, lower relative wages, much lower standard of living with no plan to fix housing shortage. That's like, beautiful. Summed it up succinctly because that does appear to be the plan. Our productivity growth is shit. We're going to try and paper through that and also the economic declines caused by the aging boomer population by jacking up immigration. And that is going to have the effect of lowering overall relative wages plus shitting all over our quality of life because we can't fix the housing shortage, which means all of our um, income is going to be going toward shittier and shittier at housing. And that's that's the strategy. Like that's the medium term growth strategy for the country. It's just your life's going to get shittier. Things are going to get more expensive. And we're going to try and make all of our GDP numbers look better by inviting more people into the shit show. And I, I think that that presents some very significant social cohesion risks, um, particularly after COVID and decline in trust that we're already dealing with right now. Yep. And I think that it also creates a very different economic environment around the immigration conversation than it has previously. So, we, yeah. yeah. We've had a precious multi-generational pro-immigration consensus, which has not only given our country an economic advantage, I think it's given us a social advantage. Canada is very good at immig- assimilating immigrants. We really are. And as as down as I am on Canada's ability to do lots of things like reform its bail system or build railway bypasses, immigration has been a sustained multi-generational, multi-partisan success story. And I see before me today all of the stuff we're going to need to just fucking ruin it to just completely destroy it we don't have enough doctors we don't have enough infrastructure we struggle to get people mainstreamed into appropriate jobs because of regulatory hurdles and we can't house them and we're offsetting our piss poor and still declining economic productivity by goosing the population which has the effect of boosting gdp and we can't house these people and no one really wants to talk about where that's going to go. No. It's like, if because... we just keep compounding our problems and making them worse, what will happen? Well, let's not talk about that. because well, it's Canada. Nothing bad will really happen. We'll be wealthy enough. I think I, mean... I showed you that chart earlier in the week that looks at Canada, like, per person productivity. Um, you know, and look, we've had huge gains in productivity in certain fields because of technological renovation and, and um, automation and things like that. But overall, Canadian economic productivity is bad, and it's getting worse. And no one cares about economic productivity when you call it that. No one cares about purchasing power per capita when you call it that. But when you tell them they're getting poorer. Yeah, they're getting poorer even as their wages going up, right? 
that's when they start to listen. Well, so like, I, I think like, look, if, we, if we're staring down the barrel of a generational decline in quality of life, there are going to be social implications for that. And they're not happy oh, yeah. ones. No, and the, the, what and we're the, talking and about the social here, implications for that in places like Alberta and BC are going to be very different than the social implications for that in uh, Ontario and the Atlantic provinces. Like there's, there's the, the metrics all go downhill from drug abuse, deaths crime. of despair, crime, to the political implications, poverty. implications, poverty. I mean, what, and the implications of, of what that does to your to your political conversation. I much more polarized, much more violent, much more uh, extreme. In its, I mean, these are these are long term trends. We're laying the groundwork for future economic, political, and social instability, yeah. and I think we're already actually experiencing some of it. I don't know if what we're experiencing is the leading edge of a future problem or if it's post COVID fallout. I'm also not convinced that if we don't get some of this stuff right, which, by the way, we won't do because it took us 10 years to expropriate the fucking land. Historians might not be able to tell any meaningful difference between post-COVID fallout and whatever era of instability we're heading into here. They might just blur together. Well, yeah, I said COVID, COVID didn't create anything. COVID just catalyzed what was already it's just catalyzed what was already there. It, it stripped away all our reserves that we might have been able to use to better manage what we're heading into next. And, now, and not just and not reserves. just financial reserves, but also social and psychological reserves. Political, um, yep, yeah, political as well. So on that note, one other germ note is that, of course, there was the hilarious uh, op-ed from the Wall Street Journal this week that basically said we're such laggards on national defense spending; they should really just kick us out of the G7 and replace us with Poland which yeah. was obviously a provocative statement, true and hilarious. A lot of shamrockers are coming to the defense of the government because, of course, we know this is a government that has built much of its post-2015 reputation on the idea that Canada's, Canada's reputation back. had been so horrendously destroyed abroad by the by the, the, the leadership of GASP, Stephen Harper. And, of course, our global reputation since 2015 is really collapsed yeah um, and you anyway, see it dismissed right oh it's a murdoch owned paper it's a murdoch owned paper of course he's going like yeah but he's still right and yeah, i think that and it's also, also the british the australians and the americans making new security packs without us it's also not getting packs. a u.n security council seat it's also being irrelevant at international forum on any issue that matters it's also us not being able to support ukraine in a meaningful way like the guy pointing it out to us works for a Murdoch-owned paper. If that's the basis on which you want to dismiss it, knock yourself out, but you're doing yourself a disservice if that's the way it is. Canada has the economic power to punch above its weight and actually live up to its stated ideals, and we don't. And we should be judged for that. And 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 it's completely correct. The other thing I would just point out is that sometimes I think that a lot of the Shamrock crowd has a hard time coming to terms with the fact that in order to actually be players in the world in any meaningful sense, it means investment and spending in things that they don't like. It's just like military. The like it, it's it's not all going to be peacekeeping and aid food aid food stuff to Afghanistan. Like it's it's going to be military spending. It's going to be violent strategic a spy service. Spy services. Yeah. It's going to be um, a capacity on a lot of these issues. It's not all going to be the stuff that champagne socialists like to talk about. It, yeah. Because that's the reality of the world that we live in. And if we're not willing to live and actually play in that world, we're going to suffer disadvantages. One of them is getting kicked out of the G7 would be extreme, but it means a less favorable position in terms of negotiating trade agreements. That's going to affect our quality of life in a, in a material way in the long run. So 
you know, we've made some choices here and now we're living with them. And Canada is very clearly not back. And um, I just think that that's worth pointing out and laughing at. It is. Very seriously. And that is our extreme test. That's our speed podcast. Our speed podcast. I'm All right. Sorry, well, dude. no, hey, tech, tech failures happen. Um, <laughs> I remember it was, a, it was a few months ago. Uh, we I was able to save the podcast, but we lost the entire video. It just poof, vanished. <laughs> so let's hope that doesn't happen again. All right. Well, we'll say our goodbyes and then I'll try and figure out how to do, do these dispatches yep. while I'm camping. Well, good luck to you. Enjoy the camping trip. I can see your kids are excited. And uh, to all of our listeners, uh, nice to be back. We'll talk to you soon. Well, folks, thanks for listening to this. Uh, the first one, I don't know if it was better. It was longer. We'll leave that up to you to decide whether or not you like the full version or you enjoyed the shortened one. For Jane Gerson, it's Matt Gurney. Thank you for tuning in once more right here on the latest episode of the Lines Experimental Podcast.